God wants us to be possessed with and possessed by purpose in our lives. Looking at the importance of taking hold of God's purpose, this message is the fourth in the series, Take Hold of True Greatness. The message is entitled, See the Big Picture. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Grab your Bibles, your teaching sheets as we get ready to study God's Word together. We're involved in a series of messages that's a very important series. I hope that you're tracking with me this fall. We're talking about taking hold, the importance of taking hold of certain things in our life as we move forward in our spiritual journey. Part of what it means to be a Christian is to learn how to actually develop a certain kind of spiritual, uh, I'll use this word and, and qualify it for in a moment, uh, aggression. That is, you have a, a, a proactivity about your spiritual life where you're actually grabbing hold of those things that God wants you to grab hold of. And it does take some energy on your part, some effort, some commitment on your part. But when you take hold of them, those things become a part of your life and a part of how God allows you to be used in, his, in the ministry He's called you to and the work that He asks you to do. And part of what we're talking about in this particular section of the series, we're talking about actually taking hold of our purpose. And if you missed last weekend's message, I really want to encourage you to get it because I, I talked quite a bit about the purpose of God for your life. It's one of the most important messages that I can share with you. And tonight is going to be so so I hope you'll pay very close attention because I want to talk to you tonight about seeing the big picture when it comes to God's purpose for your life. We talked a little bit last weekend about Jesus calling his disciples unto himself. You might remember the story of Jesus walking by the seashore uh, of Galilee, and he sees Peter and Andrew and James and John. He walks by them and says, come follow me, and I will make you, remember the phrase, fishers of men. I'll teach you how to fish for men. And there in that moment, uh, Peter and, uh, and Andrew, James, and John had this encounter with Jesus that gave a new purpose to their life. See, for that point in time for, to the, in the past, they had always lived for fishing for fish. But suddenly Jesus said, there's a purpose I have for you. There's something I want you to do with your life that maybe you never dreamed that you would be able to do. I want you to fish for people. And there in that moment, God got a hold of them and their life changed because they understood their purpose. And I remind you, reminded you last week that God designed every one of you, all of us, He designed us with a purpose and for a purpose. There's a purpose for your life. You're not just an accident here on earth. There's a purpose for your life. And when you begin to discover God's purpose for your life, you begin to have your life radically transformed. It changes you in a tremendous way. And tonight I'm going to add two more things to our teaching on this. I'll continue the theme next week as well. And the first thing I want to talk to you about tonight is a simple statement, but a very important statement. To fully understand God's purpose for your life, you have to understand what God's purpose is in the world. You'll never understand your purpose without understanding God's purpose. Let me say it again. You'll never understand your purpose until you first of all understand whose purpose? God's purpose. I'm going to make an important statement. Your purpose in this world is really not about you. It really is not about you. It's about something actually bigger than you. One of the, my favorite books is The Purpose Driven Life. Anybody read The Purpose Driven Life? If you haven't read that book, I would highly recommend that you read it. And if I remember correctly, Rick Warren starts that book with that same statement, it's not about you. I want you to say with me tonight, it's not about me. Say it together. It's not about me. Once again, it is not about me. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's not about you either. Go ahead and tell them it's not about you either, okay? All right? See, God designed you to be a contributor to something that really is bigger than you. Now, if you think about it, if you live for you, you live for a very small world, don't you? 
If you're living for a purpose for your own life, then suddenly your life purpose is defined by, by you, by the parameters of your life. But when you step into the purpose of God and the understanding of a larger purpose of what God has made you for and what God is about, what God is doing in the world, then suddenly you become a part of something much bigger than yourself. And so what I wanted to do this weekend is to share with you what is God up to in the world and what should we be up to with Him in the world? Because if our purpose purpose is defined by God's purpose, then I think it's wise that we understand what God's up to. Don't you think so? So what's God up to? What's God doing in our world in 2014? And what is He doing right now that you and I need to be fully aware of so that we can get involved in His program? Because so often, here's what people do. They try to invite God into their program. But I want you to know tonight that God's not interested in getting involved in your program. He's very interested in getting you involved in His program. And that's, there's a big difference there because the way we live our lives so often is very self-centered, very self-focused, and so we tend to turn everything toward ourselves, and it's all about God blessing us and God helping us and God getting us what we want for our lives, and we define life that way. And God says, well, just time out. Let me show you something bigger than you could have ever dreamed of. Let me show you my purpose in the world that is much larger than you could have imagined. And then I want to invite you to come along with me, God says, and be a part of something incredible, a part of something magnificent, a part of something you could have never, you never could have dreamed of being a part of. So I'm going to share with you five things that God is up to in the world today and five things He invites us to join with Him in participating with. The first thing that God is up to in our world today is the advancing of His kingdom. God has a kingdom, and that kingdom is not an external kingdom. It's an internal kingdom, and I will tell you what God is after today. He's after the hearts of people. He wants to rule inside of people's lives. Why? Because when He does... People's lives change. In fact, the Bible says the kingdom of God is not meat nor drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So when God gets inside of you, everything changes. Amen? And so what is God doing in our world? He's advancing His kingdom. In fact, Jesus taught us a prayer to pray in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. I'm going to ask you to read this together with me aloud and loudly. You know it well. Here we go. It's the NIV. Let's read. This then, here we go, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, whose kingdom should be coming and whose will should be being done? God's. Not our kingdom come and our will be done, but God, we want to see your kingdom come and your will be done in this earth. And so God is busy today. He's active. He's working uh, by His Holy Spirit all around the globe. Even in this moment while we are gathered here in Gaithersburg, Maryland, God is working all around the world, advancing His kingdom by His Spirit, looking for opportunities to get into the hearts of men and women. And He invites you and I to be a part of the advancing of His kingdom. That's, fair. That's exciting, isn't it? We can be a part of this process, and I'll tell you how in a few moments. The second thing that God is up to in our world today is God is up to the process of revealing His love and grace to people. This is a day and age of grace. God is giving a message to the world that He loves people, that He has the grace to heal and restore and bring strength and 
salvation to lives and transform people as we talked about from the inside out. And so God is in the process right now. His work is all about revealing his love and grace to people. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, the apostle Paul writes to Timothy and tells him about God's purpose in the world. In terms of this, he says, this is good and pleasing God, pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be what? It's God's will that everyone experience salvation. He wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth or come to the knowledge of the truth, one translation says. For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. So what is God doing in the world today? He is advancing his kingdom looking for hearts to begin to invade and to capture and draw to himself. He's desiring to reveal his love and grace in Jesus Christ. He is exalting and magnifying his Son in the world because the love and grace of Jesus, the love and grace of God is expressed through his Son, Jesus Christ. The third thing that God is up to in the world today is caring for the lost, the hurting, and the broken. God cares about lost people. God cares about hurting people. And God cares about broken people. I would venture to say that right here in this room this weekend and our chapel service as well that many of us could stand and testify and say, you know what, there was a time in my life when I was lost. I didn't have a relationship with God. I didn't know where my life was going. I had no idea what life was all about. I was lost. There was a time when I was hurting on the inside, and maybe no one in the, uh, the whole world knew how hurting I was internally, but I was in pain on the inside, and my life was all broken to a thousand pieces, it felt like, but I opened my life to Jesus Christ. He came in, and I discovered that God really cared about me. He had the power to not only show that He cared, but actually begin to put my life back together again. Has anyone been found once you were lost and found healing from your hurts and from your brokenness as Jesus done some work like that in your life. That's what he's doing in our world today. He's still doing that work. He's very busily reaching people. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, talking of the ministry of Jesus, for the Son of Man came. Here's his purpose to do what? To seek and to save the lost. Here's the fourth thing that God is up to in our world today. Very important. God is up to the building of His church. This is what God is doing in the world, that He is building His church. Jesus was with His disciples one day, and this story is found in Matthew chapter 16. You can read about it, uh, maybe go home tonight or sometime this next week and take some time to reflect on the entire passage. I'll read a portion of it here in just a moment. But Jesus was at a place called Caesarea Philippi with His disciples, and He asked them a question. He said, who do do men say that I am? What are people saying about me? And again, He's asking His 12 disciples. Now, we all know it's a little dangerous when you start asking what people are saying about you, right? He says, what are people saying about me? And the disciples said, well, some are saying you're Elijah, one of the prophets. And then he looked at them and said, well, well, who do you say that I am? What have you learned about me? And who do you say that I am? And Peter there in that moment said, I, I have the answer, Jesus. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but the Father in heaven revealed who I am to you. You get it. You understand. And then he made this statement in verse 18 of Matthew 16. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my... What is Jesus building? 
his church, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades or hell will not overcome it. He said, Peter, this revelation that you have about who I am, I'm going to take that revelation as it comes to the lives of people and then gather them together and build something incredible in the world called my church. And dear ones, I want you to know that what God gets done in the world today, He gets done through His church. I love the church. I love Jesus, and I love the church. And I will tell you something, you can't really love Jesus without loving His church because the church is his bride. You can say a lot of things about me, but don't talk about my wife. Right? And Jesus loves his bride. He loves his church. And you and I must love what Jesus loves. If you're going to love like Jesus loves, you love what he loves, and he loves his church. He says, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to show you how important the church is in the world today. Okay? Right now, I'm going to show you how important it is. How many of you met Jesus Christ, you came to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ by being in a church service, a Sunday school class somewhere in a church, maybe as a kid, but you met Jesus through some ministry of a local church. Raise your hand high. I want you to look around, okay? Can I ask? Look around. I want you to look around. Do you think the church is important? Now, a few people met Jesus maybe by listening to a radio broadcast or a television broadcast or maybe reading a track somewhere, but I would, get, I would guesstimate that 85 to 90% of the people that raised in this room raised their hand a moment ago and said, I met Jesus by the local church. Dear one, you must understand that Jesus Christ is building his church in the world. The church is important to Jesus. It's his bride, okay? So what is God up to in the world today? He's up to advancing His kingdom. He's up to actually revealing His love and grace to people. He's up to caring for the lost and hurting and the broken. He's up to building His church. And there's one more thing that God, I want to tell you about tonight, that God is up to right now in our world. He's up to preparing the world for the second coming of Jesus Christ. See, there's a time clock that's ticking. We don't know what the time frame is. We don't know how God measures the time when Jesus Christ will come back again. But I want to tell you this weekend that Jesus Christ will come back again. It's extremely important that we understand this. I don't want you to be unaware of that reality. I want you to understand as your pastor that I'm teaching you God's Word about the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again. It's been promised very clearly in the Bible that he will come back again. I'll read some of these passages for you in just a moment. But we, to, what helps me to realize that Jesus is coming again is when I look at his first coming, it gives me confidence about his second coming. I'll show you why. Because the prophets prophesied for hundreds of years that the Messiah was coming. The Messiah was coming, and people didn't believe it. They didn't really believe that he was coming. But one day in Bethlehem, there was a little baby born to a, a mother named Mary, and the, the father was God, sending by the Holy Spirit that seed into, into Mary, and the Christ child was born into the world. And now today, over 2,000 years later, we're talking about the fact that Jesus Christ came, didn't he? The prophecies were fulfilled about his first coming. And I want you to know that if the prophecies were fulfilled about Jesus' first coming, I promise you that the prophecies will also be fulfilled about His second coming. As surely as He came the first time, He will come again. And so God, what is He doing in our world right now? He's getting everything ready. He's getting you and me ready. He's getting the world ready for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 25, verse number 13, therefore keep Watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Now, what is he talking about? He's talking about the day or the hour that Christ will come back again. 
Second Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 13, Peter describes the day of the Lord, the day that Jesus Christ will return, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Anybody want to say hallelujah to that, all right? This is the Bible, okay? This is what God says is going to happen, okay? I'm not giving you my opinion. I'm telling you what the Scripture says. Now, I can't tell you when it's going to happen. And by the way, if you ever meet a preacher that tells you when Jesus is coming back again, run the other way, okay? Get away from him, okay? They don't know, okay? Nobody knows. The Bible even says of Jesus himself, he doesn't know the day or the hour. Only the Father knows those t- that time that it will happen. And there will be a moment when Father God will say, Jesus, this is your moment. I'm sending you back again. But dear one, be aware, be warned, be excited, be looking forward to the reality that Jesus Christ is coming again. And dear ones, we have a lot of work to do before he comes. Our work is not done. That's why he left us here. That's why he said, I've, I've created this work in the world. I am advancing my kingdom. I'm communicating my love to lost and dying people. I'm expressing my grace. I'm building my church. I'm preparing the world for the second coming of Jesus Christ. There is a work that needs to be done in the world. And what I want you to see is that, yes, God has a purpose, but your purpose is found inside of God's purpose, not outside of God's purpose. I think I need to say that again, because some of you are like saying, what? Your purpose is found inside of God's purpose, not outside of God's purpose. That is, we ought to be busy with what God's busy with, amen? We're not sitting back asking God to get busy with our program. We're saying, God, what are you doing? How can I get busy doing what you're already doing in the world today? How can I discover my purpose by contributing to what you're engaging in in the world? And so the more you're infused with, consumed by, passionate about the purpose of the God of God in the world, the more your purpose will be fully realized. Your purpose isn't about you. It's not about you. It's about something much bigger than you. It's discovered in God's purpose. You were born, and you were born again to contribute to God's eternal purpose in the world. You were born, and you were born again to contribute to God's eternal purpose in the world. Those five things I just described. Now, this contribution to the purpose of God in our world happens in a context And the context is community. And that's the second point I want to share with you. Your purpose is found and fulfilled in community. I'll say it this way. Our our work for God is not an individual thing. It's a group thing. It's a group thing. In the 21st century and certainly in our Western world concept, our mindset, we're highly focused on individualism, aren't we? We have, a lot, we have a lot of orientation toward individualistic thinking, individualism. And in fact, we see this in, in the way the world exists now, that long-term loyalty to teams, long-term loyalty to groups, it's, it's rarely seen anymore. People are, loyalty is just about gone, okay? 
in terms of committing and being long having long-term relationships and connecting with community. Those kinds of things are not valued even like they once were in our culture. And while individual development and individual goals and individual uh, pursuit of your own talents, all those things are good. There's nothing wrong with that. What I want you to see is that when it comes to purpose, when it comes to purpose, individualism really is a hindrance rather, rather than a help. Think about an athletic team for a moment. An athletic team does its best work and accomplishes its best goals, not when it's a group of individuals playing a sport. It does its best job, it accomplishes its highest goals and wins championships when all of those individuals meld into a team, okay? When they become a team, and there's the team identity is bigger than the individual identity, and the team spirit is bigger than an individual's personality or celebrity, or an individual's pursuit takes second role to the team's pursuit, then suddenly when you get to that kind of, that's, that's what every coach dreams of. That's what every coach works for, to try to meld a group of people into a team because then a purpose is, is much more highly accomplished with a team than it was, is with a group of individuals. And our problem is we, even as Western Christians, we have the tendency to think that it's, it's, it's individual Christianity. And yes, we do get saved individually. Jesus cares about individuals. Aren't you glad about that? He knows your name, okay? He knows your life. He knows how many hairs you have in your head. He knows how many you lost this morning in the shower, okay? He knows all that stuff, okay? He knows everything about your life. He, lo he loves you as an individual. But when it comes to his purpose for your life, the purpose happens in a community. It happens in a team, amen? You with me on that, okay? He wants you to be a part of the team, okay? He wants to give you a corporate connection. This is extremely, extremely important. Let me take you to some scriptures here. Acts chapter 2, verses 46 and 47. This is after the Holy Spirit was outpoured on the early church, and notice what the Bible says about the believers there. The believers, would you circle that word on your notes? The believers had a single, circle that word, purpose, and that word as well. The believers had a single purpose. I'm going to come back to that in a moment, so make sure those three words get circled or highlighted or certainly noted on your notes there. The believers had a single purpose and went to the temple every day. They were joyful and humble as they ate each other's homes and shared their food. At the same time, they praised God and had the goodwill of all the people. Every day, the Lord saved people, and they were added to the, what's the last word there? Circle that word as well, okay? Added to the group, okay? The Bible says of the early church, it uses the plural there, the believers, okay? Believers obviously represent multiplicity of, of people, right, that accepted Jesus Christ as Lord of God. That's plural, okay? Believers, but the believers had a single what? Purpose. It didn't have single purposes. It said it had a single purpose. So all of the believers had a single purpose, and even when new believers came to Christ, they were added to the group, okay? Are you beginning to see this, this whole thing was community, okay? It doesn't talk even about the particular apostles here or individual people as a part, although the, the Bible does certainly tell us stories about individuals. But the purpose of God saving the lost and reaching people in the Jerusalem community, as we see this was the context of this particular passage, happened by a group of believers who came together with a single purpose, okay? So it's a group of them. Notice 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verse number 10. Would you read this one with me? We're going to read from the New Living Translation. Let's all read aloud and loudly. Here we go. 
I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church, rather be of one mind, united in thought and united in thought and united in thought and circle purpose again, okay? So again, he's writing to a group of believers. He's writing to Christians. He's saying, I'm writing to all of you folks at Corinth, and I'm telling you this, although you're a large group, I want you to all get focused on a purpose. Now, for a large group to get focused on a purpose, it can't be an individual's purpose. It has to be God's purpose, okay? So all of a sudden, all, the, all the, 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 the church, if you will, at Corinth, at Jerusalem, as we just talked about, they get focused on the purpose of God, and they come together in unity. And I will tell you that when you're, when you're engaging with a purpose, then you don't have time for division and strife and all those other kind of things, because you know what division is? Division is multiple visions, okay? When you have multiple vision, you have division, okay? When you have one vision, you have unity, okay? So you begin to get a vision of what God's doing in the world and suddenly everybody adds their effort to the vision and when they add their effort to the vision, the purpose is accomplished. Think with me for a moment just with this group here this this weekend and our chapel service as well. If all of us got together and we all agreed on what God's purpose was in the world, we all got busy working together, doing our part with God's purpose in the world, would it be incredible? What could, what, it would be amazing what we could see God do if we came together in that kind of focus with a single purpose on God's purpose and found our purpose in the context of God's purpose. So how does this happen, and why is the church such an important part of this? Let me give you five things that will describe why your purpose is discovered in community. Number one, because in community, and the church, by the way, is that community, you increase your spiritual maturity. Why does God want you to be in church and why does He want you to to be a part of community life and the discovery of your purpose? Because you can't fulfill your purpose if you're immature, correct? Kids can't Kids can't accomplish a whole lot. They, they, li- they, they live to enjoy life, to do life, and sort of be taken care of, but they don't accomplish much. Okay? You don't expect children to be doing work. Okay? You give them a certain amount of responsibilities along the way, but, but kids are kids. And so to, you, when you grow up, you get a job. Amen? Okay? By the way, if you haven't learned that yet, we'll, we'll help you with that. Okay? When you grow up, you get a job. Okay? You get a job, you go to work. Why? Because when you go to work, it shows now I'm suddenly mature and I have carry, I'm carrying responsibility. Okay? And so maturity is essential in your life for being able to fulfill a purpose. You can't mature by yourself because you don't even know yourself well enough to understand the things in your life that will help you to mature. And so God brings other people along that are different than you, that draw out stuff from you that you did not know was in you. Okay, right? You met somebody like that before? Maybe you're married to them, okay? 
And God says, I want to work on this part of your life. And the only way I can work on this is put you in a relationship that will allow some things to be surfaced from you that now you can see and I can work on so that maturity can increase in your life because the more you mature, the more I can use you. There are a lot of people who are not usable by God, not because they don't want to be used by God, but they've never matured in their relationship with God. And so you need the church and church relationships because church relationships will help you to grow and help you to mature. My maturity, my walk with God, and my continued maturity happens in the context of relationship. I need people in my life, and so do you, to help us to mature. Number two, in the context of the church life and community is where you will even discover your spiritual gifts. That's how you begin to discover what they are. Let me tell you something about spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are not self-determined. Spiritual gifts, are dis- they're discovered, affirmed, and confirmed in community. Some of you didn't get that. Let me say it again. Spiritual gifts, you can't just sit back and say, I think I'm a... No, because you might think you are, but other people may think you're not. Have you ever watched the auditions of American Idol? <laughs> oh, these folks think they can sing. And somebody in the community has to say... Time out. You need to pursue another option in your career, okay? Because they think one thing, but there's not a reality to it. And so you get a reality check on your gifts by being in the context of community. I will tell you that I would have never been a preacher or a teacher of God's Word had it not been for people coming along the way in my life that pointed out a gift to me I didn't even see in my life and encouraged me and helped me and taught me and, yes, corrected me along the way and helped me to grow in my gift, and they helped me to get to the place that I'm doing what I'm doing today because I was in community. I was planted in a church, and because I was planted in a church, I had some people that helped me discover the spiritual gifts in my life. And that's why many people never discover the fullness of their spiritual gifts is because they never get planted in a church anywhere where they have decent enough relationships to help them begin to discover what they're called to do or not do. You got that? So spiritual maturity, discovery of spiritual gifts. Number three is where you develop your spiritual gifts. When you're in a church, God puts people over you and around you to help you, as I just talked about in my own life, develop your gifts, to help you to see what you need to adjust and learn and where you can grow. And that's why it's important to have a teachable spirit and all those things that we do. And then the fourth thing, it helps that you're in the church context, community life, you're able to help others mature spiritually to discover and develop their spiritual gifts. So as you grow up, you begin to help other people to discover theirs as well. See, church is not just forgetting, it's also forgiving. Amen? Don't be a church, just um, see what I can get from my church. I'm not getting anything out of church, okay? Well, I'm just not getting anything out of church. Well, give something, okay? Put something in. I, the last I discover, if you want to get any dividends out of, a, out of something, you have to make an investment, right? You can't get something out when you don't put something in. And so the same is true in any relationship of life, including your church relationships. And number five, contribute to God's mission in the world. Say, so you know what? I'm going to be about the mission of God in the world. Take a look at Romans 12, 4 and 5. We're going to be wrapping up this evening. Just as there are many parts to our bodies, so it is with Christ's body. We're all parts of it. And it takes every one of us to make it, what's the word there? Complete. For we each have different work to do. So we belong to each other and each needs 
all the others. You cannot fulfill your purpose alone. Let me go back to, to the beginning of time just for a moment with a quick story. When God made Adam in the, and placed him in the garden, you remember the story in Genesis chapters 2 and 3, God created man, placed him in the garden of Eden, and he said to Adam, I want you to be fruitful and multiply, didn't he? Remember that story? Okay, be fruitful and multiply. Here's this garden, take care of it, grow this thing into something incredible. I'm giving you a work. Adam, I'm giving you a purpose to accomplish, okay? And Adam gets busy trying to do the work, but part of the work that God gave him was also the responsibility of naming the animals. Remember that part of the story as well, right? Remember? Okay. And so here are all these animals that are coming, and Adam's got to come up with all the different names for all the different animals. And here's Adam. He's alone right now, and he's trying to do this job that God's asked him to do and take care of the garden and do this kind of stuff. But God's got a plan here. He's working. So he's trying to help Adam understand something. And so as Adam is naming the animals, he noticed that there are two of every kind that show up. And so there's Mr. and Mrs. Hippopotamus and Mr. and Mrs. Monkey and Mr. and Mrs. Dog and Mr. and Mrs. Cat, you know, and like, you know, they're all coming in twos, but there's not, there's not like a Mr. and Mrs. Adam. And God said, oh, now you got it. Because what I was trying to awaken in you, Adam, was the awareness that you can't do it by yourself, okay? You need a helpmate. You need someone that can help you in the process. And, of course, we know the story of how God put Adam to sleep, and he reached into Adam's rib and fashioned that woman and gave him that wonderful gift of Eve. And then together they were able to accomplish the purpose of God until they sinned against God, as we read about in Genesis chapter 3. But even going back to the very beginning of time, Adam couldn't do it alone. He needed, a he needed connection. He needed community. And the same is true for you and me. You need, you need to realize that your purpose is discovered in God's purpose and, and your purpose is discovered in the context of where God's purpose and work is being done in the life of his church. So can I encourage you? Let me tell you, the church is important, amen? That's why you need to be planted and rooted and established in a church where you're growing, where you're challenged in your spiritual life, you're maturing in your spiritual life. It may not be this church. It could be this church. But whatever, wherever it is in your life, you need to realize the value that Jesus has placed on his church because it's the church that helps develop your destiny in God and your whole purpose is discovered in the life and the context of that community. Church is important to God. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the beautiful, beautiful story that you gave us in your word of the building of your church and the call that you've given each one of us to be a part of it. And Lord, we realize that so many times we get focused on our individual lives and we get focused on what we want you to do for us. But, Lord, we want to begin to realize what you're already doing in the world, and we want to become a part of it, single-hearted, committed, connected. And I pray in Jesus' name for each one of us here that we would begin to realize that our purpose really is not about ourselves. It's about something bigger than us. And I pray you'll help us to get to that place where we are willing to say yes to your purpose in the world, your purpose for our lives. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that anything that would keep us from, from saying yes to that would be removed. Every resistance would be pulled aside. There would be a submission, a willingness in our hearts to render our lives fully to you. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that will make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. 
You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God. And we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. And I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash new beginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.